Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. I'm offering three sessions of the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups. They'll start the week of January 20th, 2019. One session will be at noon on Mondays and Wednesdays. Another session will be noon on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the final session will be Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5 p.m. Each session will run for one hour and it will last a total of eight weeks. If you're interested, visit ADHDessentials.com slash signup to register for your free pre-screening call. That's ADHDessentials.com slash S-I-G-N hyphen U-P. Or go to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups for more details. Registration closes next Friday, December 21st. And hey... How about a five-star rating and review on iTunes? They help others find the show, and they add a little light to my day. I'd really appreciate it. This is episode 50. I'm pretty proud of myself for getting this far. I'm not going to lie. Today's episode deals with slightly more mature themes than we typically address on this podcast. So if you tend to listen to it with your kids, you might want to Take a minute and cover their ears, or wait a little while and revisit this without them in the car. Because today, we're talking about how to talk to your kids about sex. We're talking to Erica Miley, a mental and sexual health therapist, and she's also the host of the podcast, Sex Talk with Erica. And her family is affected by ADHD, so she's part of the tribe. In today's episode... Erica guides us through talking to our kids about sex. We start with talking to younger kids about sex, and we move on to older kids as the episode progresses. Regardless of the age of your child, there should be something in this episode that you'll find useful. You can find Erica at ericamiley.com, E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y. All right, let's get rolling. I am Erica Miley. I'm a mental and sexual health therapist. So in my family, ADHD uh, has impacted probably my entire life. I grew up with family with ADHD as well as have family in my home with ADHD. So I, I, I'm highly familiar with it and highly familiar with what folks deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so I, I, I'm here as a sex therapist, and I, I promise to your listeners, we will relate all of the sex things to ADHD. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I guess the main meat of, the, of this episode, sort of the, the mission statement, mm-hmm. is to help the parents listening have a framework or some strategies to talk to their kids about sex with. So how do we talk to our kids about sex? Like at what age should we start? And if we didn't start at that age, what do we do to make up the difference? I think this is one of those stress points for all parents everywhere. Like, when do I start talking to my children about sex? When do I start talking to them about their bodies? How do I even explain this? Because many of us as adults have experienced 
either massive shame around sex or the sex talk, or they didn't get anything at all. And they got their information from maybe from school, if they're lucky, or, and it was quite late, like adolescence, late adolescence into middle school and high school, or maybe even the internet and porn. I'm meeting many young people now that have gotten a majority of their sex education from pornography. So my want is to help kind of smash down these shame systems around sex and for us to, as stewards for our children, to be able to talk about sex and bodies in a very real way, starting very young. So to kind of answer your first question, starting young is absolutely necessary. And you're not going to start with intercourse. <laughs> That's not where you're going to begin. A lot of times people will get freaked out and they're like, what do I even say? And do I need to talk about like penis and vagina? Like, do we just need to just jump into that? No, 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 no. We're not, <laughs> you don't even begin there. Because oftentimes little kids have questions about their body and they're not even related to sex yet. But they have bodies that have nerve endings. So they need to understand them. Oftentimes, children will start to physically explore their bodies uh, roughly between the ages of two and three. Oh, I have these interesting things on my body, typically genitalia. Oh, I have in that feels interesting when I touch it. Oh, that's funny. That's kind of like a toy. This feels good when I touch it. And it's not sexual. Let me just clarify that up front. Sometimes people think, oh, well, then why am I telling my three-year-old about sex at three? You're not going to tell your three-year-old about sex. You're going to help them understand their body and what's happening to them. Ultimately, you're providing context for them. They're feeling these funny things as their body develops, and you're just saying, hey, this is what this is. So you might see, and you, you might see typical developmental sexual behavior like touching or grabbing or pushing their fingers on it because it feels funny and it might even look funny to them when in reality, uh, this, these are just the parts that we have. So that's what I tell parents to begin with is just helping their children understand that these are their body parts. And more than likely, they may even show curiosity about your body parts, because many times during ages two and three, one, two, and three, parents are still like putting baby into the shower with one of the parents because that's what they've got time to do. <laughs> so a parent might experience a child like touching their genitalia because that looks funny. <laughs> so helping a child understand like, hey, that's mine and you have yours. And yeah, it looks funny, but that's mine and that's mine to touch. Also helping them understand consent very early by doing things like that, helping them understand, hey, that's daddy's penis. That's mommy's vagina. That's theirs. You don't get to touch that. I get to decide who touches that. Just like you. you you're a tiny person. You get to decide who touches you. That also can include, and then here's like a whole rabbit trail. <laughs> Sometimes people think that they need to tell their children to hug other family members or that they should kiss other family members. When they're small, this is a great opportunity for them to kind of create their own rules about their body. And if they don't want to hug grandma so-and-so, they don't have to hug grandma so-and-so. If they don't want to kiss grandpa so-and-so, they don't have to kiss grandpa so-and-so. Right. So that's like my long-winded initial <laughs> explanation on where to begin. 
No, I completely agree with you. Um, I know with my guys, they like to have like a snuggle hug before they go to bed. Like just I kind of lay on the bed with them and give them a hug for a yeah. minute or two and then they love, and then they go to bed. And I'm, I try to be careful when I realize that it's turning into an assumption to sort of pull back and be like, mm-hmm. does anybody want a snuggle hug? Because at any moment now you can decide that that's not something you want me to do anymore. And I want them to feel comfortable having that conversation and saying, yeah, no, dad, I'm good. Um, hasn't happened yet, but at some point it probably will. I don't imagine that I'll be giving them snuggle hugs when they're 15. Um, <laughs> that'd be a little weird, but they're, they're not quite there yet. And again, my guys are, uh, they're younger. Yeah. They're younger for their age. So they, that stuff is a little bit still okay for them. Um, but I'm sure once puberty hits, they're going to be like, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, all right, cool. <laughs> Whatever you want, whatever helps. People are like in your head, I miss the snuggle hugs. I might be, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> so I mean, and mine, and I'll just say, mine are my. I have a younger and I have an older, so I have a six-year-old and a thirteen-year-old. So those two, how you create those conversations are going to look different for every kid that you have and where they are developmentally and not their age isn't necessarily the predictor of that. It's where that individual kid is. So the next step that I tell, tell parents to consider is what questions are your kids actually asking? That is a really good place to begin because kids are oftentimes, or maybe four or five years old, more asking exploratory questions about their body rather than specifically to sex, like directly to sex. They're more going to ask questions like, oh, where did my baby brother come from? Oh, this person we know is pregnant. Where did that come from? Or how did that happen? And oftentimes parents feel like, oh, they get uncomfortable and it can almost feel physically uncomfortable because you feel anxious, right? And you feel like you need to say all the things all at once. So I encourage parents to take that deep breath, take that, you know, five seconds to just take a deep breath and really listen to what the child is asking. If the child is asking, where does that baby come from? Or how did that baby get in their, their tummy? It's okay to say that person's growing a human in there. And it's really cool because I often tell parents to begin with cells rather than to begin with penis and vagina or however, like if somebody used IVF or like, you don't have to go directly to this giant process, right? You can start with the small steps of where your kid is at saying like, oh, there's this really cool cell in our bodies called a sperm. And then there's this really cool cell in, in mommy's body that's an egg. And those two things came together. And that's how the baby got to be made. Usually, that's enough for four, five, six-year-old. Yeah. They aren't interested in the whole process. They want the answer to their question. And then they're going to go back to playing, you know, Transformers on the, on the, <laughs> on the carpet. Yeah. Or they're going to go back to their iPad or whatever they're doing. That transition is important to kind of play out a little bit, right? Because kids that are four or five years old, reality and fantasy are not that different for them. Like it's pretty much the same thing. So if you say this cell in mom's body and this cell in dad's body got together, the kids are like, cool, then that's what happened. And they don't even necessarily need to know how. Some kids are going to ask that. There's absolutely kids that are going to be like, well, how'd that happen? And you can answer that 
as scientifically or not scientifically as you decide. But a lot of them are just going to take it as fa- at face value. Yeah. And then they move on very quickly. Right. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay. There's the answer to that question. Moving on. Yeah. I do think it is important, important for parents to know that it is there, there is a, a safety element to using proper language. So I, I think that's important for us to talk about too, especially even from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, part of my bra- background is not only having worked with sexual assault victims, I have also worked with people who have committed sexual assaults. And oftentimes the people know the people who have harmed them one of the risks that often happens for children is one, they don't know that their body is their own. Another risk is when people use pet names for genitalia or cutesy things. I mean, I have lots and lots of stories about this from folks that I've worked with in the past, but what happens when somebody is using a pet name, if they're going to report to you that they've been harmed, they're going to use the words they know. So if a pet name is for their vagina, an ice cream, that's not helpful for them to be able to tell you that they've been hurt. Mm-hmm. Because then you're not going to make, the, we as adults don't immediately jump to, oh, this kiddo's been hurt. So being able to talk about it in a real way that you have a penis, you have a vagina, or you are describing, just like we would say, we don't have pet names for our arms, you know, we don't have pet names for our hands. Genitals should be no different. And that, certainly I want to continue with the how do we talk to our kids about sex, but but that the importance of protecting our kids is also really key. I know with my guys, one of the early on, some of the conversations we had or around, we use the phrase, wear your bathing suit covers, because mm-hmm. that pretty much covers it fairly well. Um, and we'll, we'll say genitals and penis and that stuff too. But typically, if we're having a protective conversation, it's around, no one should be touching you, wear your bathing suit covers. That's right. With the exception of mom and dad, if they ask us to, like if they're like, this hurts or something and we need to check right. something out, then, then that's a thing. Um, or the doctor. And again, at their age, mom and dad are going to be there with the doctor. So only if mom and dad are there, should the doctor be doing that. And then outside of that, it's, it's nobody. Yeah. No one your age, no one older, no one younger, doesn't matter. And we revisit that conversation fairly frequently. Yes. In the beginning of the school year, maybe again, like around Christmas break, when we go back to school, mm-hmm. we revisit it for every summer camp. Yep. So if they go to three different summer camps, we're having that conversation in three different, before three different summer camps because the setting has changed and we want to make sure that that concept extends from one setting to another. And then if they're going over to a friend's house that is a new friend, that someone else is at that old friend's house that hasn't been there previously and they're going to be there for an extended period of time or sleepovers. Yes. Because those are times when there's a chance that something might happen. And do I expect it? No, I honestly don't. I don't think that I really need to worry about it too much. But also, if I don't worry about it, then I need to worry about it. And if I do worry about it, then I have to worry about it less. Exactly. I think that permission part that you brought up is really important too. That mom and dad have to ask permission and doctor has to ask permission as well. Right. That's something that we've done with our children that 
and oftentimes I, I will hear doctors um, and doctors in particular, and I've had to actually kind of have conversation with at least our children's doctors. They'll try to bring up that conversation, but in the realm of strangers, in, in the realm of strangers, that is helpful for a child to understand, but not essential because it is very rare that the child doesn't know who hurt them. It, and I'll, I'll just say that again, because I think it's so important. Oftentimes doctors will try to help children understand stranger danger, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's not to say that this isn't a worry that kidnapping's not a thing and all of uh, that. It's it, that does happen, but the statistics and the likelihood are, especially with sexual assault is that, a child, a, a, an adolescent, an adult is much more likely to know the person that hurt them. So it is important for us to create those boundaries of consent early mm-hmm. and with potential people they know. It doesn't mean that we need to be alarmist and that everyone, like you said, needs to be suspicious of every person around them. But it does mean that we're being cognizant of those conversations before they go into different environments and understanding that, okay, this is my body at summer camp. This is my body when I go to swim lessons. This is my body when I go to a scout meeting, whatever it is they still know those those rules apply in different environments. Flipping back over to that permission thing. Mm. Something else we need to point out for our kids is you don't need to go touching anybody on their genitals whether or not they give you permission. That's right. There might come a time when you're of an age where you want to do that and yeah. we can have appropriate conversations at those ages. But prior to that, nah, you're not touching anybody's bathing suit areas ever, even if they give you permission. That's not a thing for you to do. And I I think that's so helpful to create those limits so that they understand that, okay, what I feel in my body is different than what another person feels in their body. And that's not an easy concept for kids to understand generally, no matter what their background is. Oftentimes kids believe that what's happening to them and how they feel is how everybody feels. And so us creating those limits and helping them understand that, oh, okay, my body's my body and their body's their body. That's, right. that's not an easy concept for all kids to understand. And sort of bringing in the ADHD side of this, right? Yes. That sort of behavior that is okay for me where I'm comfortable versus where someone else is comfortable, all that stuff. Like my guys are pretty good about, they'll parade around the house in their underwear and think nothing of it. Like they're, they're in fourth yeah. grade. It's not a big deal. But if anybody is coming over, if anyone is there, they've got pajamas on, they've got robes on. If they're at someone else's house, there's pajamas, there's robes. They, they're very aware of that component. But the impulsivity side of ADHD means that they might very well take a shower and 90% of the time they're going to come out of the bathroom with a towel wrapped around them or in their underwear because they already dried off and stuff. But then there's the 10% of the time where they just walk out of the bathroom completely naked yes. and don't even realize it they're not like as soon as i'm like bud what's going on they're like oh (laughs) and it's totally it's and some of that's the impulsivity of a nine-year-old but i can also see in plenty of households that impulsivity side causing that to happen i i even remember when i was a freshman in high school a kid on my baseball team who was in he was in like a lower grade he was in like eighth grade or something 
mm-hmm. and sister was like the scorekeeper on the baseball team. And she told a handful of us one day, she was like, yeah, he just came walking downstairs into the kitchen completely naked yesterday. And we were all like, what? And she was like, totally floored and didn't like, it was one of those I'm telling you because I have to tell somebody, do you know what I mean? (laughs) She was like a junior in high school, like a little bit older than him and didn't know what to do with her little brother parading around the house naked. (laughs) And thinking about that now everything i remember about that kid i'm like he probably had adhd like he probably yeah that make that line sort of connects for me but that's the thing that happens like you don't even notice you're like oh wait i don't need clothes on yeah this isn't a dream dude like go back upstairs and get a robe or something so that that impulsivity side of adhd can come into even how we are ordinarily comfortable or uncomfortable sometimes we do something without realizing it Absolutely. And helping, and helping a kid maybe understand context in the light of that, right? Like you just kind of were like, yo, hey, go get some underpants or some, a robe on or whatever the case may be. And uh, we've definitely dealt with this very scenario in our household. <laughs> and <laughs> Like that line of like, whether there's people in the house or not, like help that, helping that kid understand there are other people here. Right. What does that mean? Yeah. And not reacting so strongly. That's that's exactly. being implied by both of us. We're not like, oh my God, because that's <laughs> going to breed shame. That's going to make mm. other things harder. Exactly. And I think helping us understand from very early that bodies are normal, that behavior, especially when it comes to those bodies, is fairly normal. Most of us are pretty normally like, oh, these genitals are interesting and they have interesting nerve endings and they feel funny. Typically kids touch them and helping kids understand like, Oh, Hey, you don't need to be, this may or may not be coming from experience. You don't need to like hold your penis in public. Like that's not something (laughs) that you need to do. Hey man, you know, you can do that while you're in your room playing on your iPad, but not while we're walking around to Disney world. So fast forwarding, the other I have to talk to my kids about sex conversation. Right. Puberty's coming or it's here. Yeah. Now they might be having sex. They might be exploring that and trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. How do we have that part of the conversation? So I think this these rules about like asking open-ended questions, that's the first like thing that I'm at, I'm telling parents to do. From the time somebody is little till through until they leave your home open-ended questions are your absolute and complete friend. If you're starting this conversation and like you said, having this conversation many times from the time they are young, this will not be then a surprise conversation once the kiddo starts to be 10, 11, 12, 13, as they start to go through puberty. If you're having conversations about the body when they're three, four, and five, then you're still having those same conversations. The body is just changing. The body then is the variable, not you and your kiddo having the conversation. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, if you're sitting here with uh, your mind on your 12-year-old mm-hmm. and you're like, oh crap, I wasn't having those conversations. There's no judgment here. That, no. It doesn't make you a bad parent. You didn't do anything no. wrong. You just didn't get this memo until now. And we yes. can't go back in time and give it to you when they were five. So exactly. we'll navigate and, uh, this from both ends. We haven't had those conversations. And then and in some cases we did. 
And, and so if your kiddo is 10, 11, 12, 13, and we're, you're starting that pre-puberty puberty process, the open-ended questions, again, are your friend. It's okay for you to ask your kiddo, hey, have you noticed that your body has become different? What do you think about that? Tell me what you think about the process of you might be experiencing feelings in your genitalia that you've never had before. Tell me about that. Have you ever had that happen to you? When you are asking those open-ended questions, they will give you all the information they need. That, and they will give you the roadmap very clearly if you ask them the open-ended questions. And the next part of the open-ended question, though, is shutting your mouth. <laughs> this is a hard this is a hard thing to do because you get so anxious right you get so afraid i'm gonna screw it up i'm gonna shame them oh no ask the question close your mouth and that's for everything by the way listeners not yes. just sex yes <laughs> but keep going erica <laughs> because if you ask your kiddo hey have you noticed your body is changing and then you ask them five more questions they're not going to know especially i at least um, history has definitely told me with my family, they're not going to remember those five questions. They're going to answer one of them. (laughs) Then they're going to get overwhelmed like you because they can, kids can feel what's happening with you. Like they can see that you're uncomfortable. They can see that you're anxious about something. So it's okay to ask one question and then see what their answer is. Yeah. Write your questions down so you get them out of your head. Yes. (laughs) And it's a good time to start asking those questions around the internet too. Like, have you seen something on the internet that you don't understand when it comes to bodies? Have you seen pictures of people on the internet that you didn't understand? One of the things I tell my children and that I tell my, my clients and my parents um, that I coach, it's okay to ask these questions one and two that I tell my children, let me give you context because the internet will give you everything, including the stuff you may not want to know yet. And I would rather be the person answering that question for you. I know you. I I helped make you. I, I know how much information you might be ready for. The other thing we do is that as my child and specifically uh, my 13 year old, as she got older, one of the things we did was we came up with like a phrase so that she understood that the answer to this question was a more grown up answer. She knows herself pretty well. And this kiddo um, very much doesn't want to give up her childhood yet. (laughs) (laughs) And so I will say to her, our phrase, okay, do you really want to know? I will ask her that question and not in a sarcastic way because she knows that when we had a discussion about this question, when I say that to her, that means she cannot unknow that information and that it will, that that information will change how she sees it in the future. So it's also okay for that consent conversation to continue to happen and for you to allow your kid to tell you that they don't want to (laughs) know. The way my dad talked to me was he came into my room with a book one day from the library, put the book on the table or on my bureau, I think, and said, Uh you need to read this. 
and left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I noticed it was from the library. I didn't even get to keep the book. There was a time. <laughs> this is time limited. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I even opened it. I had already gotten the sex ed at school, which doesn't happen yeah. so much anymore, yeah. depending on where we are. And then um, I had a girlfriend. It was like we had been together for four months. She was coming over. Mm-hmm. My parents were going out that day. My dad strolled in with a three pack of condoms and was like, we're not going to be home and left. And I was like, dad, I don't, <laughs> I don't need that. Like my dad was just very uncomfortable with that stuff. Yeah. And my mom was able to have those conversations with me because mm-hmm. I went over to my mom with the book and was like, what do I, what is this? And she was like, yeah, I know. But he was trying and I really want to give him credit for that. Right. Absolutely. And I think part of why he was trying was because I was the boy and I have two older sisters. My mom probably handled those conversations with them. Yeah. But my mom was a nurse. Yes. So like body stuff was not that uncomfortable for her. She could handle right. these conversations. So yeah. as a team uh-huh. of parents, assuming you're in a team of parents, if you're not, if you're a single parent, then you kind of mm-hmm. have to handle this. But, yeah. but if, you've got a, if you have a spouse that you're working with, the one who is more comfortable with this conversation, it's okay if they have it, regardless of the gender of your kid. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be just because I have the boy bits, I have the conversation with the boy. Yeah. There might be some, if, and if you're going to have the conversation around like, I remember this stuff, it's going to be a little more personal, then you're comfortable enough to have that conversation anyway. So just have it. But if you're just like, I feel like it's my job, but all I can do is give my kid a book. Maybe let the other parent do it if they can have a plan other than a book. But circling back to the internet, the internet does not explain sex in a way that is healthy. Right. Unless you go looking for that stuff, but that's not what you're going to stumble on. Mm -hmm. And broadly speaking, do you know who Adam Savage is? Yes. Not Dan Savage, Adam Savage, who is the Mythbusters guy, right? Yes. He has, tells a story. I think it was on the moth, but I might be wrong. But he tells a story about talking to his kids about sex in the age of the internet. Mm-hmm. And the gist of it is that the internet hates women. Yes. Because in the aggregate, it does. Mm-hmm. And your kids are looking at the internet in the aggregate. And that means that your daughters are being affected in a way that is negative, And your boys are being affected in a way that is negative for other people's daughters. That's right. And we can navigate that as parents if we go in armed with that concept. Absolutely. And that pornography will come to them Mm -hmm. even if they're not looking for it and not in a way like that somebody's a predator that's trying to get to them these algorithms exist in in the system of the internet that that allow for that to happen and no matter how many blockers you have kids will get their hands on something not necessarily because they're looking for it and helping them understand the context of that and then helping them understand that the sexual relationships that they want to have as they're older may or may not include that. And there's lots of ands here. (laughs) That how they treat each other can't be based on something that's a performance and not necessarily reality. That idea of porn as performance, there's a, a, a porn star who has her own podcast and that is what she said and i thought it was i thought it was absolutely brilliant that porn is performance it is not reality nor is it education 
And I think that's really important for parents to understand as well, because here's the deal. If the kids are, are trying to figure this thing out in a vacuum without anybody giving them context, they will figure it out. They will find the information. They will use Dr. Google. They will then have all of this one. They could have complete misinformation and they may have, like you said, this context of maybe harm that is not helpful to them, not helpful to their future relationships with their partners. I'm having an idea that I want to run by you. Yes. As a tool for talking to kids about porn, probably after the fact. Yeah, this isn't after the fact. After we (laughs) found it, that's when we have this conversation. Yes. But I'm thinking about the caveat is your kid has to play a sport or do a physical activity of some sort. Mm-hmm. I take my kid to watch a movie mm-hmm. related to their sport. And it, maybe we watch something on Netflix. I don't know. Yeah. But we watch the, this movie. And then during or after, probably after is better if you want to actually enjoy the movie. We have a conversation around how accurate was that movie to basketball, karate, mm-hmm. or fighting, broadly speaking, if your kid is a martial artist, or wrestling, right. or whatever. Because it probably won't be. And since you can cherry pick, you can pick a movie that is not accurate. There can right. be playing wire foo soccer, for all I care. <laughs> and now we use that metaphor for porn. Yes. I think that, I think that would be an excellent way to like, okay, here's this idea, and then parallel it right against what maybe they have stumbled upon on the internet, helping them understand that not everything that they see on the internet is real and not everything that they see on the internet is for them. So I encourage parents, if they do need some resources and they are, they do need resources to be able to understand the information themselves, because that's something I encounter with parents often is they feel like a fraud because they feel like they don't have the information. They feel like they don't understand sex well enough to even explain it to somebody else because they never got the information they needed. I meet parents who were supposed to go through sex ed and their parents signed them out of it, but then never had a conversation with them about it. Uh-huh. So they never even got either, either end of it. And everything they know is from maybe somebody told them, maybe they've learned along the way with a partner. And they just get scared when they have to explain it to somebody else. So I encourage them to look at Corey Silverberg's books. Um, He has a book called Sex is a Funny Word, and it is a children's book. It is a wonderful children's book that does a wonderful job of being able to give this explanation in a non-shaming way. The other website that I encourage grown-ups to look at and then adolescents and teens to look at is called Scarletine. And it has a wonderful one. It has a wonderful search bar because you can actually put your question into the search bar. It's not just keyword search. It is full question search. So kids can, like young kids, like 12, 13, 14, they can be asking the questions that they have and then they will actually get an article that is broken down in a way that is very understandable. And it's meant for adolescents and teens, but (laughs) I encourage adults to go to it too because they often have very similar questions. So that's got me heading in a different direction. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that able to ask questions Mm -hmm. reminded me of what happens with Alexa. Mm -hmm. And how kids ask Alexa questions all the time. Yes. 
I know parents who kind of laugh about those questions and like, why are you asking Alexa about this <laughs> kind of stuff, right? When the kids yeah. are really little and they're asking weird random stuff. Yeah. If you can keep a lid on that, if you don't make a big deal about the questions that they're asking of Alexa when they're like eight, nine, and 10, Mm-hmm. Then when they're 12, 13, and 14, you can still go into the Alexa app and see the questions yes, and get a much better view of what they're concerned about. Because mm-hmm. if you make a deal of it when they're younger, they're going to self-censor with Alexa. Absolutely. But if we can set up a little bit of a sneaky spy, mm-hmm. we might be able to get some information that you would otherwise wouldn't be able to get. I think that's an excellent idea. And I also think I encourage parents to see every question is an opportunity. However you're seeing it, whether you're seeing it in history of the internet, if you're seeing it in the history of Alexa, if you're seeing it, and if they're just asking you questions, seeing every single question as an opportunity and not as something to be afraid of. Because if, if it's an opportunity, it's, then it's a window open. You have the ability to give that kid context. You have the ability to help them understand their body, help them understand their body and in the relation to the world. And I think that that is a gift we can give our children because if we allow them to be curious, then they're going to continue to be curious people. It's not just with their body. They will continue to be curious about the world. And also remember that our context is not their context. Exactly. When a kid asks about sex, they're not asking about blowjobs. They're asking about the body. They are asking because they are curious about, oh, this is something I have. This is something that person has, or I have feelings about this person and I want to know about that. They're not asking the same questions or trying to get the same understanding that an adult will. And that's for younger kids, right? And for older kids, still our context is not their context. Exactly. And it can invert. It can Mm -hmm. flip right over maybe because now their context might be less innocent than our context is. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just be mindful of that and, and approach things from as much of a non-judgmental place as you can because we don't want to build up the shame. As much as we, once our kids get older and I'm knee deep into puberty with our, <laughs> our oldest. So uh, it, listening to her, talk to her friends and have inside jokes that might be sexual that is, they're playing with these ideas of, just like we did, of yep. sexuality, of how to be funny, yep. of how to test the boundaries with swearing. All of those things, they're trying it on. Sometimes parents will go to the extreme and they'll, they'll go to punishment of that kind of behavior or at any one of those things. Ultimately, they are trying it on. When adolescents are in middle school and high school, they're just trying to figure out if they're animal or vegetable. (laughs) They have no idea who they are and what they want for their life. And so they're trying on swearing. They're trying on like some of the sexual language. They're trying it on, trying to see what fits. And they're talking above their heads a lot of the time too. Yes. (laughs) They're talking way above their heads. And if we assume that our kids saying something lascivious look at that for a 10 cent word about some kid in their class or something that doesn't mean they actually want to do that thing or have done that thing it just means they have a new word and they think that kid is cute that's all that it means they half the time they don't even know what they're talking about exactly and so again our context is not their context in in every direction it could possibly go in 
Absolutely. I think that, I, I think that absolutely applies. I mean, it's funny that this example popped into my head. I remember because, you know, South Park came out when I was in adolescence, when I was in adolescence. And there is a, an episode about the kids using a word incorrectly, but thinking it's funny because it gets a rise out of the people around them. So understanding and, and not taking that personally and not also then applying that to your child's character and understanding that it's not who they are. It's that they don't know who they are yet. Yeah. And your kids have ADHD. So they are probably more impulsive. They are certainly dopamine seeking. Yeah. If they get a rise out of you, that's dopamine. Yes. And they will continue to do that because it gets a rise out of you. And it might, they might frame it differently next time, but they're going to know that making inappropriate jokes is going to get mom to turn red and be embarrassed or dad to storm out of the room. And if they don't want dad in the room, they'll make a sex joke and dad will storm out. And if they just need to get mom going, they'll make a sex joke and get mom going. Yeah. One of the things that I, I think is a useful way to frame this, going back to my episode with Tamara Rozier, Mm-hmm. the ACO president, the ADHD coaches organization president. In that episode, we talked about discussing our values as a family with our kids. Yes. And so if we've had those kinds of conversations and you can start that conversation tomorrow and have the sex conversation two months from now and things will probably be okay. If not, you know, have the sex conversation now if it's an emergency, but probably you can wait. If we are pretty open about what our values are as a family and our kids are behaving in a way around sex that is counter to those values, then we can frame it around our values. Yes. And that takes a lot of the embarrassment away for everybody. It takes Mm -hmm. a lot of the pressure away because now it's, is that how we behave in this family? Is that our, does that line up with our values? The conversation about values is exactly what our children are going to take forward into their lives. That's the filter that you are going to provide them. So when they do ask these questions and that is the filter that you lay over it, then it really helps them understand like, oh, okay, I want to have a sexual partner later in life. Okay, how do I, how do I want to do that? How do I want to have a healthy sexual relationship? And what does it mean about my values about that? Like, how do I have that healthy sexual relationship with a partner? And what does it look like within that relationship? And that can look a lot of different ways. Sometimes we think we need to do all the parenting at once when we have the sex conversation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But ultimately, this is the long game. It is questions over and over and over again throughout their being raised. And guess what? Probably once they get to college too. Something else that's really important is you said, do I want to have a healthy sexual relationship? Mm -hmm. And I have clients who are in high school mm-hmm. and college. And these are the boy clients. I haven't had a girl client with this particular conversation yet. Uh, it may happen. It just hasn't. Mm. They're often framing it as, I want to have sex. Not, I want to have a healthy sexual relationship. Not, I want to have a relationship that sex is a part of. It's, right. I want to have sex. Yes. We've got to have conversations about sex with our kids, especially our boys, that are not about sex, that are about relationships and respect. 
and consent, which is where we started, and why it is that you want to be with whoever that person is, boy or girl, I don't care. It's not because they're hot. It's because they're smart and they're valuable to you and they're compassionate or they like Pokemon as much as you do and how many kids in high school like Pokemon. Like, I don't care what the reason is. Yeah. But it can't be that they're a hot piece of tail yep. or that they're popular. You got to have a connection there. In the end game isn't always sex. Right. It's connection because that's what we were as humans made for. We were made for connection. And what does that mean? And how do you have, how do you even begin to have a healthy relationship? Most of the time, the questions that trip kids up is, oh, how do I talk to that person? How do I even initiate the conversation of, I like them? And then beginning there and then having a conversation about, okay, what would a healthy sexual relationship with yourself look like? If it was you having the conversation with you, what would you want? How would you want to be treated? Yeah. And when, the, when a person can think about compassion for themselves, it, they can then apply that compassion to another person. And if they're struggling with ADHD and having trouble navigating all of that, it becomes harder for them to have compassion for themselves. Yeah. They start to see themselves as not valuable. Mm-hmm. And when we see ourselves as not valuable, other people see us as not valuable too. And that makes it harder to get that connection. Part of why we connect to people is because they have some measure of value. So if your kid is struggling in that area, seek out the help that they need and help them get it so that they can find their own self-worth because they're not going to find worth in someone else and someone else is not going to find worth in them until they find it in themselves. Absolutely. And I think oftentimes we do have those conversations about sex in regards to others. Like, oh, you need the condom. Oh, you need the birth control pill. Oh, you need those things. When ultimately all of those feelings have a origin, our biggest sex organ is our mind. And we should understand how it affects us and how it affects our values and how we connect those things to another person. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with the audience? Get help when you need it. Talking to somebody like me, I get parents calling me to coach them through the talk. Sometimes I even get them calling me and wanting to have that conversation with the kid in the room, which I'm happy to do if you feel overwhelmed by it or if you feel like you, you, don't, you don't have the tools. I, I'm happy to help in those ways. Um, so my website is ericamiley.com. For anybody who wants to do that, my email address is erica at ericamiley.com. And that's Erica with a K. And those links will be in the show notes. The other thing is, I think being able to connect with your kid and ask those open-ended questions, start with the open-ended questions, see where they get you. I can almost guarantee you'll get pretty far with those open-ended questions. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.